to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Loved ones, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. We, uh, this morning, we turn our attention back to God's word in Revelation. We'll look, we're looking at the letters from Jesus. Last week, we had an opportunity to look at the letter to the church in Ephesus, where we uh, remember what Jesus in the, is in the midst of them as a light to them. And, in, and making them a light to those around them. And he told them that they need to repent and return to their first love and the love they had at first. Loving God and loving others. Today we take a look at the letter to the saints in Smyrna. And Jesus has a word for them as well. They are a faithful church unto the Lord. And they are undergoing some afflictions, hardships turmoil in their midst. And so the Lord writes to them to encourage their hearts. And I pray that it can be encouragement to our hearts here today as well. Before we continue to dive in, will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much because you first loved us. Jesus, you know the pain that we carry and the things that we go through in a broken world. Lord, you know we need your mercy even now. God, we call out mercy, oh Lord, because of so many things going on in our lives, in our city, and around our world. God, we are crying out to you. Have mercy, oh Lord. Come now. Teach us from your word, Jesus. Uh, enlighten our hearts. Uh, help our feet to move in light of your will to be an obedient faithful church in your name. Amen. You know, growing up in a small town had its advantages. I had an opportunity to just roam around this small town, go anywhere I wanted to go. Well, most of the times. And there were some places where I couldn't go, where I didn't go. You know, as I began to ride my bike through the city and eventually run throughout the city, I remember this story of when I was 10 years old, there I was going down, walking down Broad Street, a section of Broad Street, and I saw some German shepherds. And I thought, okay, if they stay in their yard, I'm fine. They don't need to come out to me. I'm just a little boy just walking down the street here. And so they didn't have any compassion on me during that time. They chased after me. And as any little 10-year-old, I was terrified 
It felt like imminent death was upon me. My bike wasn't even fast enough, and it felt like my life was hanging in the balance, running from these wonderful, beautiful dogs that my son loves. He loves German Shepherds. But that day, I could care less for them, trying to get away from them. Friends, many of us have experienced what it's like, right, in life to run scared in the threat maybe of our pain, of our hardships, of our affliction, and even of death. The faithful church in Smyrna was facing the threat of death and death itself through persecution. So Jesus, what does he do? He comes to them. He, he writes to them through the apostle John. And Jesus writes to them to remind him that he is the sovereign Lord who brings life out of death. In verse 8 we read, And to the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. This describes the living one in chapter 1. We read it earlier today, where it says, John, when he, when he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet as though dead. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me, he said. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Jesus is the sovereign Lord, our God. History belongs to him. He is in control of the past, present, and future. We learn through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the same, no matter the age, no matter the time, that he is the same for us. He's dependable. He's there for us. Jesus shows us this through his death on the cross. He dies for the sins of his people. This is the reason he was born into the world. He is indeed Emmanuel, who is with us through every storm of life. Each day that Jesus lived on earth, friends, he suffered the pains of living in a broken world. Some could say that Jesus felt the pains of a broken world deeper than anyone else because he lived a perfect life. He faced the temptations of life, and he came out as a sinful, sinless Savior of the world. The sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus felt this turmoil that we go through over and over again. Even in his day, he paid attention to the heavy loads that were placed upon the people of God as image bearers. Jesus is the one, friends, who has a front row to the tears of our hearts, the plaguing of evil in our hearts and in our day. Jesus turns his attention to the cries of his people who cry out to him day by day. Friends, when we were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus became our shepherd through his death on the cross. Instead of calling down a legion of angels from heaven to take out the enemies of God, Jesus died on the Roman cross to make his enemies his friends. In his obedience to the Father, Jesus did suffer to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore, the suffering servants, friends, he knows the pangs of the persecutions of the saints well. 
He knows them in advance. He told of them in advance that you will undergo trouble, persecution. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is the one who's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses that we have now today. Therefore, as we face hardships and troubles in life, this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus himself provides the compassion we need, the courage we need to keep moving through, to facing our hardships and pains. And Jesus has promised that he will provide the crown of life for his people. Jesus is our compassion. He's the compassion for those who are persecuted. Like the saints in Smyrna, we face opposition at every turn. Therefore, we need the surety of the Savior's compassion when we experience persecution, afflictions, and hardships. In verse 9, Jesus says, I know your afflictions. The church in Smyrna was being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Jesus promised the church that they would undergo persecution as he promises us today. He says in John 15, hey, look, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, praise God. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world hates the saints of God because we belong to Jesus Jesus says, remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus knows the intentional, the sufferings inflicted upon his people that live for him. We need the surety of his compassion. We need the surety of the Savior's compassion when we experience poverty scarcity and need. In verse 9, Jesus says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. Through their lack, they know the Lord who is their shepherd. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God is always concerned about the poor. As the apostles encouraged one another, they said to remember the poor, no matter where they would go. Remember the poor. Remember to show mercy to those who are downtrodden and don't have enough. God has a very sensitive eye on the poor to meet their needs. In this context, perhaps the believers became financially destitute due to proclaiming the name of Jesus. They're going through a financial persecution. They're experiencing this. But Jesus said, yet you are rich. Yet you are rich. What what makes them so rich? They are rich because they have Jesus himself. They have placed everything into him. They rely on their heavenly father like Jesus did to meet all of their needs. They trust 
that he is going to be there for for them. They're not wavering from that. Jesus tells us, look, if God so cared for the birds of the air, how much more would he care for you? This is the sweetness of God towards all of his children in plenty and in want, especially, especially those who have grave need through persecution. Jesus was impoverished on the earth of scale, but rich in love, and you too when you trust completely in him. We need the Savior's surety. We need his compassion upon us when we experience persecution, poverty, and when we face our persecutors. And when we face slander and evil. Jesus says in verse 9, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Jewish religious community in this day They were the ones who chiefly opposed the believers. What what they stood for in Christ posed as a threat to Judaism. So they thought. And so they didn't make room for them in their hearts, in their synagogues. The persecutors are enemies of God when they're intentionally inflicting harm upon the people of God. They were, given the bad, they were given the believing community a bad name through slander. They were lying about even themselves in terms of who they were. The text says that they were not really Jews. They didn't really have the faith of Abraham, their father, who placed his faith in God. And God counted that as righteousness to him. He was a friend of God. They did not have this faith and exercise this faith in God. Instead of striving to impart life and being indeed the synagogue of God, they became a synagogue of Satan. Satan here means the enemy of God and and those who who are against God and those who belong to God. So although these wicked men perpetrated the persecution of the saints, who cry out before God day and night. It's really the arch enemy of God who is ultimately behind the attacks on God's people. Satan himself, the one who goes around seeking to devour and torment God's people. He will use who he will to bring the type of persecution that we see here, that the people will be mocked, jeered upon, and cast out, but God never cast him out, as we just heard. He never casts out his people, but brings them near, because he is the compassionate God, our Savior. You know, Pastor Matthew is persecuted in his community every single day. He leads a small church in northern Kenya. Every Sunday as he preaches, Some of the Muslims from the surrounding neighborhood, they will pummel the church with rocks. His persecutors even attack his family. Their family and other Christians in the town are regularly discriminated against, and especially when they attend community events like a funeral. Pastor Matthew recalls attending a funeral where he was served a meal, and he went to sit down with a group of men. The other men immediately stood up and left him to dine alone. 
saying they would never eat with a pagan. Despite the ostracism and assaults, Pastor Matthew persists in ministry activities, including helping to translate the Bible so that others can read in their dialect. He said, God is faithful in providing for our personal and ministry needs in miraculous ways beyond our expectations. The gospel moves forward in this community without hindrance because God has placed his faithful servant there to serve him in the face of his persecutors. Persecution is real for believers everywhere. Peter says, you know that our brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Research shows us that Christian persecution comes in the forms of martyrdom, arrests, abductions, abuse, just to name a few things. Every day, as we look at the research, we see every day at least 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith, maybe more. Twelve churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Twelve Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and, 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 and they are abducted, taken away from their families. And we see that these numbers are growing and growing and growing. There are high levels and low levels of persecution. What does God call us to do about this? One thing that we can do about this is pray. Pray in the face of God. And you know, one thing that we like to do in our church We like to pray for the persecuted church. So November the 5th is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We will join together to pray for our brothers and sisters enduring persecution. Another thing that we can do is a lament, grieve what is going on in the world amongst the believers. But we grieve as those who have hope because we do believe in the resurrection of Christ. This should give us openness to grieve and to lament openly to God, to have mercy. Another thing that we can do is to rejoice. We read in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, hey, dear friends, undergoing suffering, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is is revealed. So we can rejoice together that we suffer for the sake of the name. We can be thankful unto God that we have a participation in his suffering. And we can continue in obedience to Christ. So when we suffer according to God's will, that we submit ourselves to our faithful creator who is good, who is pure goodness, and will continue to be good to us and show us compassion when we are persecuted. And also courage in the face of fear. Jesus provides this courage to the saints And he exhorts them towards remaining courageous. What does Jesus say? 
Well, he says, do not be afraid of what you are suffering. Verse 10, I will tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So here we see Jesus warns that the devil will turn up the heat on persecution. And Jesus gives the saints the loving command to not fear what they're about to suffer. The imprisonment is not a sentence, but this is indeed a time for holding before they would go to trial or indeed before they would face their executioners. Like Jesus, Peter, and John in Acts, those who are turned over to the Roman God, guard, they're beat, they're mocked, they're whipped, they're mistreated, they're spat upon. So we can expect the same of these believers and those around the world when they are in the hand of powerful people being persecuted for the sake of their faith. Jesus makes this pronouncement in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, he says. God says through Isaiah 41 to his people, do not fear, which is one of the constant refrains in Scripture. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, people of God. I am your God. What will I do for you? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, the same hand that touched John. So when the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, we can resist him. For God stands with us. God stands for us. God gives us the gift of faith to stand in the face of opposition. By God's grace, we will not fear. We will remain faithful. Jesus says, be faithful, friends, even to the point of death. Jesus knows that some will suffer death at the hands of their enemies, at, at the hands of the enemies of God. Stand strong in the Lord is to, to have this shield of faith in place for the battle ahead. Man, how hard must it be, right, to remain faithful when someone is in your face with a gun, with a knife, with something to harm you and saying, recant, deny Jesus, or you will die. Oh, how hard it is to stand in the face of that. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your own way, or maybe you have experienced that firsthand. But the Lord knows what we face, and he is with us every step of the way. We learn this from Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is the one who keeps us remaining faithful to the end when the persecution is turned up and the fires are blazing in our lives. Jesus keeps us faithful to the end, running the race. This is the case for Susan, who has accepted Jesus within her heart. When her father learned that she has accepted this message about Jesus and truly believed in him, 
he turned up the heat of persecution towards his own daughter. He tried to force her to deny Jesus, which did not go along with the family's faith practice. Susan could not bring herself to do so. Jesus was keeping her. What did her father do? He locked her away in a small closet in their home for about six months. During that time, God visited upon her heart. God also showed mercy through her brother who brought her roasted bananas that he would slip underneath the door. A little something to sustain her body. Their neighbors became suspicious and began to questioning Susan's whereabouts. The father eventually released her after those six months from malnutrition and from being in a small place. Her legs were so weak that now she needed assistance, support for her legs, crutches to walk with. Susan was cast out from her home and thankfully, God provided a way for her through missionaries living in her country who took her in and who cared for her. And now she lives indeed with a smile on her face because she has the opportunity to worship Jesus and not face the threat of her father's fury. Fear will come upon all who are tested, who are standing for Jesus. This fear may come upon us when we are in our workplaces, and we just mention that we are Christian. Some of us keep our mouths closed because we know there may be some ridicule, or it may mean the loss of a job, or it may mean that we sit alone when we eat lunch. We know the fear that we have. Even in our, the safety of our city of saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Yes, we are to be shrewd in how we approach our neighbors to love them well. But there are some times when the Lord places it on our mouths to declare that, yes, I am a believer. I am a Christian. I stand with Jesus in all things. Friends, this is not easy to do for us. Sometimes everything within us wants to just shut our mouths and fly under the radar. The Lord knows this fear. He's not ashamed that we have this. He comes to build us up to remind us that he is with us. What matters is him, that he makes us courageous to even speak the words. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. He's the one that gives us the opportunity to say these things. And some of us have been in places where we have been mocked and jeered upon, called stupid for being a believer. We know there still is a threat on us, even in the United States of America, where we have the safety to worship here even this morning, right? And we know through the attacks on churches throughout our history of America that sometimes it does happen. People come into our worship to attack us because we named the name of Jesus. Believers have lost their lives just sitting in church service 
worshiping Jesus, having Bible studies. And someone comes in, and we greet them with open arms. We welcome them. And so we embrace them with the love of Jesus. And still, they turn and attack us. You see why we need Jesus so much? You see why he stands with us to provide for us compassion and even courage to worship in the face of opposition? And this is the same Jesus who is with us to the end. The same one who has promised us that he will provide the crown of life. He says, I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Jesus will reward the saints with this crown. This indeed is a metaphor for the eternal life that he promises. You know, in Smyrna, they boasted of being the best, the first in Asia. They had a beautiful city. They boasted upon it. They had beautiful walkways and roads and temples. And even at the Olympic Games, they had the, the, the athletes that would compete, and every victor would receive this evergreen laurel wreath that was placed upon their heads. It was a symbol of their victory in the games, of their triumph. It was a symbol of their glory. But Jesus promises us a crown of life that he will give to us that will signify and point to the victory that we have in him, that he keeps us faithful to the end, that Jesus is the one who, when he was alive, suffered with a crown of thorns on his head, taking the abuse for his people. He wore this crown of thorn as they marched him down the street with the cross on his back, And what does Jesus tell us? Take up your cross and follow me. Knowing that your reward will be given to you one day. All that you are suffering is not for naught, but it is to glorify God. That you may be beautiful in me, radiant in me, fitting for the occasions of being exalted when Jesus returns. God will grant us this eternal life. We don't have to fear the second death, which is the judgment of God, where God will pour out his full fury wrath on the enemies that deserve it. But as for you and me who have placed their trust in Jesus, Jesus took on the wrath of God in our place, drank down the cup of wrath down to his bitter end for you and me so that we can taste the sweetness of the victory in Jesus and have triumph in him and in him alone. Jesus, the compassionate one, he draws near to his people. He does not leave our side, not one bit. All that we are suffering in the world and facing in the world, he feels it. And he is with us to encourage our hearts as we walk through it. Jesus is the one 
who shows us the greatest love in the face of opposition. He is the one that has commanded, do not fear, I am with you. Jesus is the one who was raised to life, showing that we have the assurance that we will be raised at the last day with him. Paul says in Romans 6, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He's the living one. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, friends, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Death has no dominion over us because we are in Christ. We will be raised with him. For this reason, Jesus has told us in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of one other one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And for us who are the faithful ones, because Christ has made us faithful, we need not fear death, even at the pangs of persecution, even in the midst of our poverty, even in the face of our persecutors. You know, we have stories upon stories upon stories of our brothers and sisters who have been in places and countries where religious freedoms is not accepted. People have been running for their lives to hand out Bibles to people in remote areas. I'll never forget the reports of the saints who came and presented, even here and in other places, other churches would have mission conferences. i never forget when we talked about praying and we were praying for the persecuted church. There was a sister who was reporting, and she said the, the, the only way that believers would know each other is by the blinking of their eyes. That's the only way they know that there are other Christians that are near Surely we've heard other stories of early 19th century missionaries who would pack all their belongings in a coffin, going for Jesus, knowing that they may undergo death for the sake of the name and never return to their home country of their home and their friends. So many of us have died of disease and famine for the sake of the name. Others have passed away with machetes on their necks, Still others have endured the mocking from their neighbors and the constant threats of their livelihood. What kept them going is the same faith that keeps us going. Jesus, the living one, keeps us going. Jesus will see that we win this race with him, that we will finish it in him, that we will be presented the crown of life that he has promised for those who are in him. So friends, Jesus has much compassion for us, so much so that he pours it out upon us every day. This is part of his name, that he is God who's compassionate. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us because he loves us. Jesus is the one 
who provides the courage that we need to face another day of our lives when times become hard? How much more will he give the courage of brothers and sisters undergoing persecution at the hand of their tormentors? Jesus is the one who provides the crown of life, even now, because a relationship with Jesus is the eternal life that he has given us. And this relationship will not be broken by no means. There's nothing that can break this relationship, this love that we have with Jesus. And so when we face death, which is in the hands of Jesus, we will be dispatched immediately into his presence. This is our faith, friends. This is what we have to look forward to. This gives us the boldness to continue to preach in that name, the name that is above all names. Jesus is Lord. Let's live for him. Coram Deu. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for giving us confidence to walk in your ways. Lord, we thank you today that we are in you. You have made us to be so. And Lord, we ask, continue to show us your compassionate love, the courage that we need, and also, Father, the promised crown of life that is you. In your name we pray. Amen.